Hello and welcome to another edition of Question and Response, a podcast of Trinity Grace Church. My name is Jacob, and per our usual arrangement, I don't really say a whole lot. Joining me now today is the man who says a whole lot, Michael Novak. Michael, how are you, sir? Good, Jacob. Thanks for being here. Excited for another week of this. Yeah, this is great. I think this is a great opportunity for people to explore the questions that are making them curious. The claims that we make on Sunday morning are eternal claims, and so it's natural for people to um, have questions about some of the more nuanced uh, portions of that. And those questions often lead to more questions. And this is a great avenue to explore those. Yep. And if you have questions, we want to take them seriously at Trinity Grace. And not just questions about what you hear in the sermon, but also questions about the liturgy that you experience or any questions that you have about Christianity in general, Mm -hmm. we would welcome uh, you to send an email or text the number that you'll share a little bit later in this episode. Whether or not you go to Trinity Grace or not, we want to receive your questions and uh, deal with them um, seriously. Yeah, it's also a great opportunity for people to share with their friends and neighbors about Trinity Grace and and encourage them to send in questions if they have things that they're wrestling with or just curious about. That's a great idea. Yeah, so let's get into the first question. Okay, so on Sunday morning, we were in Mark 7, and we talked about um, Jesus's interaction with the Syrophoenician woman. And uh, she they have kind of an interesting interaction. She comes in, and her child is... Um, has a demon. Our first question has to do with that. It says, can you tell us more about what it would have looked like for someone to be possessed by a demon? And does this still occur today? The only thing I can picture is things that I've seen in TV um, or in a movie. So what do you think about this? Definitely not movies that I've seen because if it's, if it's scarier than Monsters Inc, I haven't haven't seen it. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) I I know the movie, uh, the exorcist, I think, or the exorcism, um, I don't watch those movies, uh, and so I, I don't. I don't normally pay to be scared, um, and so uh, I guess I'll answer this question based on what we see in the pages of the New Testament. Because you're right, we don't normally see demon possession in our culture in our day and age, but you do see it time and time again on the pages specifically mm-hmm. of the Gospels and the Synoptic Gospels particularly. Is it worth before we get into all this? Is it worth just understanding what a demon is because we throw that term around a lot and we kind of just assume everyone knows what we're talking about. I don't feel like I have a good understanding of what a demon is. Yeah. Um, and I think a, a good way to understand what a demon is, is it's a spiritual force, an evil spiritual force, uh, that normally manifests itself in a person's body. Uh, you see it, uh, overtaking somebody's body, using it in a sense as, a home from which to operate in the New Testament. Uh, You see demons possessing animals like you do in Mark 5 when Jesus sent the demons into a herd of pigs and then they destroyed themselves. Um, And you can also see uh, demons at work in a general way. Um, uh, And you see actually Paul address this in Ephesians when he talks about spiritual warfare and how we're called to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, and it leads us to believe that um, that demons can be at work externally in a believer's yeah. life, and we're called to repel um, their uh, their endeavors and their actions um, through the Word of God, through prayer. Yeah. So, with that in mind, what did it look like for someone to be possessed by a demon? That's probably easier to describe yeah. uh, in some ways uh, because you see it uh, on the pages of the Gospels, and there's two things or two passages that come to mind uh, that give us good descriptions of what demon possession looks like. And one is in Mark 5, which we looked at a few weeks ago at Trinity Grace. You see a man who was possessed by what 
Mark calls a legion of demons, mm-hmm. which is a military term that consisted of 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. And in the passage there in Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, you see that the demons possessed this man's body. They used him as a home, making him almost a shell of himself. And we see in that passage that he was a danger to himself, uh, that he was out of control with screaming, that he was cutting himself with stones. Um, You could see that he had some sort of supernatural strength because the passage says that they chained him and he broke the chains. They couldn't bind him anymore with chains. And so it's safe to assume that he was a danger to himself. He was emotionally, physically, spiritually ravished. Um, And he was a danger to other people. We know that because they put this man out away from the city. They put him in the tombs, which would have been outside of the city to live there so he couldn't hurt anybody. And then there's another instance in Mark 9 where a demon-possessed boy is brought to the disciples of Jesus, and they can't heal him. And so Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he finds the parents of this boy. And in Mark chapter 9, it's described this way. Teacher, I brought my son to you, the parents said, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And then Mark continues by saying, And they brought the boy to Jesus, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood, and it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so I think these passages give us a good idea of what demon possession looks like. This boy from Mark 9 is probably not somebody that would have been pretty to look at, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better phrase. The demon had used his body in such a way uh, that it led him to physical destruction in some ways. The fact that he was cast into fire and into water, the demon wanted to destroy this boy physically. Um, and so I don't think it's a stretch to say, even though I haven't seen the movies, mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of times I don't know if they're that far from what would have been the truth. Yeah, certainly inspired by, by this. Sure. Um, so why don't we see this kind of thing today? Because we see a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world in 2019, but I haven't seen anyone possessed by a demon mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. I think this is where it's uh, worthwhile talking a little bit about uh, the Enlightenment Um, and the way that it's really done a number on us spiritually. Um, You know, the Enlightenment basically came along, and with all of the uh, progress that was made in medicine and in science and in technology uh, and politics, Mm -hmm. um, it uh, it basically um, says that if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't feel it, if you can't test it, then it's not there. Um, and, uh, And so... The Enlightenment has come and basically said the physical matters a lot, um, but if you can't empirically prove it or uh, study it or research it, then um, then it doesn't matter um, or it's not there. Um, and so I think it's done a number on us spiritually. Um, we've lost a sense of the transcendence. We've lost a sense of spiritual forces at work in our world and in our life. Um, and I think that's one uh, one way that, you know, we kind of bypass the idea of demons in our current culture. So is it just that we don't recognize it, or is it that it doesn't actually happen? I think that it happens. And you see it happening uh, from stories uh, from missionaries in other parts of the world. 
Uh, and so I'm not sure that it happens a lot in our culture, in mm-hmm. our first world culture in America, the United States. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're pretty well occupied with materialism. Um, we're pretty well occupied with uh, things that we can see, touch, feel. We basically get possessed by our stuff. Sure. You yeah. could say that materialism is the demon of our culture, sure. although um, it's not technically a demon in the in the technical theological sense. Right. Um, but I think for lack of a better way to say it, I, I mean, we're so preoccupied, the devil doesn't really have to be very concerned uh, in terms of where we're at spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other parts of the world where you see the gospel exploding. Um, you think about Africa. You think about South America. Uh, where Christianity is growing at rapid rates. And there you actually see stories emerging of demon possession Mm. um, and spiritual forces being at work. Uh, And I think that you see it on the pages of the Gospels because during the incarnation of Jesus, God was doing uh, a restorative work that had not been done up to that point, and they wanted desperately to stop it. And so I don't think it's unusual that you see demon possession being heightened on the pages of the New Testament and demons trying to undo or unravel the work that Christ was doing in the flesh. Um, And so I I think that those are some things to keep in mind. Uh, One way to sum it up, I think, is that God and the devil and their person, they don't change. They're the same um, uh, in all contexts and all cultures, but they operate differently in different contexts and different cultures. Um, And so uh, in our specific context and culture, for some reason— um, they're not operating in the same way that we saw yeah. on the pages of the New Testament. So a, a skeptic might say that when we read the Gospels and we read these accounts, or you you hear of accounts today in the developing world, like we talked about, these areas where um, Christianity is exploding, um, is it possible that people just didn't recognize mental illness? Or is it possible that people didn't understand depression mm-hmm. and they mistook those things for demon possession? Yeah. Um, I think that that is that's a that's a normal question to mm-hmm. have, um, but as you look at the pages of the New Testament, it's very clear that there's distinctions being made. Um, in Matthew chapter four verse twenty four, when it talks about the work and ministry of Jesus, it says this: the report of Jesus went forth into all Syria, and they brought unto him all that were sick with various diseases, those suffering severe pain those possessed with demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he cured them. And so there's a distinction made even in this verse uh, between epilepsy, severe pain, various demons, and demon possession. Mm. And so the writers of the New Testament were not stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, our medical knowledge has increased greatly since the first century, Um, but they were well enough aware, uh, knowing what's happening um, to know that there was a difference between demon possession uh, and medical conditions. Yeah. And anytime you see somebody uh, being possessed by a demon, when Jesus encounters them, they audibly recognize and confess his name. They're subject to his power. Um, and that is a characteristic of demon possession in the New Testament that you don't necessarily see with medical conditions. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no audible medical condition um, <laughs> that cries out and confesses Christ's name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any more thoughts? Are you ready to go on to the next question? I think I'm ready to go on. That, okay. was, a, uh, that was a big one. Yeah, that's a big question. It's one of those things that's it's a little bit spooky, but it's good. Another reason why one of these this kind of forum is, is great. It's a good way to 
bat that question around and, and see what scripture says about it and, and talk a little bit about it and maybe people learn something. So, yeah. And that, um, those were like, we always say some thoughts to, um, to chew on. Um, obviously there's more uh, that could always be said in a context like this. Yes. There's a reason we call this question and response yes. and not question and answer. Absolutely. Cause that would just be arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question two says this, um, during our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed this Sunday said, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Does this mean that those who have already passed away have not yet been judged and are not currently in heaven? I just wanted some clarification on what TGC believes about this and about the afterlife and about Jesus' return. Yeah, and we uh, we recite creeds in our confession of faith often mm-hmm. in Trinity Grace, two specific creeds that we come back to. Hopefully at least quarterly in our worship services are the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And they basically give us uh, an encapsulation of what Christians throughout the century have believed. And so this past Sunday, we did come across that language. uh, Like you mentioned, he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Does this mean uh, what's going on with people that have passed away have not been judged yet? Um, and Paul uh, talks uh, about this a little bit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 13, where he talks about the coming of the Lord. He says this. I'm going to read a, a few verses here to set this uh, answer up. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And when he says asleep, he means dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who have passed away. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or those who are dead. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the second coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And There's a lot going on there. A lot going on there. Um, and, uh, and I think it's important to recognize um, that when Christians die, when they fall asleep, uh, which I love that way, that description of death for those who mm-hmm. are in Christ, because you're going to sleep uh, to be raised again uh, one day. Uh, we believe that your body and soul... Uh, your body goes into the ground, uh, and your soul goes to be with Jesus if you've placed your faith in him, if you're in Christ. And so for a while, your body and your soul are separated. Okay. Um, and then at Christ's second coming, which is what Paul's talking about here in second or First Thessalonians, he descends from heaven, and he's bringing with him an army of, of souls that have already gone to be with him. And Paul's even talking here about you know those who are of us who are still alive when that happens, which wouldn't that be amazing mm-hmm. uh, for that to happen in our lifetime? Um, we'll be called up uh, with uh, Jesus, um, and we believe that the body will be resurrected from the ground and of re- those who of those who have who died, died. Okay. Um, and be uh, reunited with their soul mm. uh, to live uh, with Jesus uh, for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. It's what in theological terms is called the intermediate state. Um, those who die are separated for a time in this intermediate state. Their body and soul are separated to one day be reunited during the resurrection of the dead. Does the Bible give any kind of detail about what that intermediate state is like? Because... I'm sure everyone had the children's bulletin when they were a kid that they colored that had like 
you know, people living in the clouds or whatever. Mm-hmm. I used to think that you would eat clouds if you wanted it to taste like pizza. It would taste like yeah. pizza. But that's all. <laughs> like, yeah. what does the Bible actually say about this? Sure. I, there's a few thoughts that I, I, I could point to uh, from the scriptures that I think help us, although uh, we'll never get a full uh, answer uh, to that question. I don't believe. Again, question and response. Yeah, until we experience <laughs> it in person as those in Christ. Uh, but you, you do see in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, uh, when the thief next to Jesus places his faith uh-huh. in him, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And so there's a sense that um, that day, uh, that regenerate person was going to be with Jesus uh, wherever he was going, to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a sense of what that's like, I think, in Revelation, mm-hmm. uh, where you see uh, those who have gone before us, uh, dressed in white robes, worshiping the Lord, um, in his presence, experiencing um, complete freedom, uh, even though they're apart from their body at the time. Um, and so um, I think those are some some verses that kind of give us an idea yeah. of what's happening. Uh, worship is happening. Um, wholeness and fullness is happening. Um, and then there's going to come a day when Jesus returns to make all things new, uh, and when we're bod- our bodies are resurrected like his. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Paul actually talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians. He says that um, like a seed that goes in the ground and it comes up as a flower or as a, a fully developed um, uh, thing, it's, it's kind of, he likens that to what the resurrection will be like. Our bodies yeah. are sown into the ground, but they'll be raised immortal. Um, we'll probably still be able to recognize each other, um, but... Uh, our bodies will be uh, indestructible, um, immortal, um, uh, without sickness or decay. Yeah. So what about, and I did not bring this up in our pre-podcast prep, so I apologize, but what about people who are, their bodies are cremated? That's a great question. Um, and uh, I don't think that the, the scriptures necessarily address this issue specifically, and so we have to approach it with loose hands. Mm. Um, what about folks that have died in tragic accidents? Yeah. Um, what about folks that have given their life for their country in wars? Uh, and so I think that God's power um, in his, uh, he's got the power to bring us back from wherever we're at, whether it be in the ground or whether it be elsewhere. Mm. Uh, even if our bodies are in the ground, they're going to decompose yeah. Yeah. Uh, in some ways. And so... Um, the resurrected body, whether it comes from the grave or from wherever else that person was deceased, I think God has the power to raise them back to life in a physical way and reunite them with their souls. So we've talked a lot about the, the intermediate state, look, what it looks like when someone dies. But the creed also says that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. What does it mean for Jesus to judge? Yeah, you get a good, you get a good picture of that actually in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, verses 11 through 15. Um, And this is what John says there, beginning in verse 11. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Mm. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you get this sense that there's a first judgment after death. You will be with Jesus in paradise if you're in him, or you will experience the torments of hell and mm-hmm. soul uh, at death. And then there's a second death in a sense after our bodies are resurrected, reunited with our souls, and then we stand before the great judgment seat that Jesus presides over. So did I hear that correctly? There's, there's a set of books that records the deeds of every person. And they're judged according to what they do. But then there's the book of life, which are those who are in Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, John does use the, the idea of books being opened here. Um, that uh, It says, like you mentioned, uh, that record the deeds that we've done. And that's a frightening thought. Yeah, no kidding. But for those who are in Christ, uh, the deeds that we have done have been completely forgiven. Uh, And now we experience, uh, in a sense, a transfer of his righteousness Mm -hmm. to our account. And so that is going to be our great hope as we stand before this judgment throne on the last day. Not what we have done. In fact, what we have done would disqualify us. Yes, certainly. But we're hidden in Jesus. We're washed with his blood. And so as Jesus looks at us, our judgment day, in a sense, has been transferred from the future to the past Mm -hmm. as Christians. And so we can look forward to this judgment day uh, with great hope, knowing that Jesus has satisfied God's law perfectly on our yeah. behalf. As Christians, we already know the result sure. of our judgment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, good deal. I think that's all the, the thoughts that I have. you have anything else you want to add? I think that's good for, uh, for one night. So. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> we've talked about demons. We've talked about death and <laughs> yeah. what happens after that. So, yes. um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Well, hey, guys, we thank you for listening. That's going to wrap up another edition of Question and Response. Um, If you've enjoyed what you've heard, we'd really appreciate if you'd subscribe to the podcast. That that will ensure that not only do you get this show in your podcast feed every week, but you'll also get um, the the sermons uh, from Trinity Grace Church every Sunday. This is a great way to introduce friends and neighbors to Trinity Grace who might be searching for a new church home or are considering the claims of the gospel for the first time. Um, as always, we'd love to have your questions, the questions of your friends and neighbors as well. You can email those questions to michael at trinitygracesa.org, or you can text those questions anonymously to 210-920-0783. Until next time, take care.